This is Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. John O'Brien and Johan Joubert are legends in the Eastern Cape conservation scene. Both men were part of the team that turned Shamwari Private Game Reserve into a world leader in its field. John is the reserve's ecologist with the responsibility for ensuring there is a natural balance between the animals and vegetation. He works closely with Johan, who, as the reserve's head vet, works for the health and well-being of the different species. Listen here as they share their years of experience with us on Frontierland. Enjoy. Well, gentlemen, all I can say is this is an interview that I've been waiting to do for a long time. Um, we're sat here at Founders Lodge, which is on the grounds of Shamwari. And when you talk about Shamwari Game Reserve, both yourself, John and Johan, you're part of, of, this, of this story that is Shamwari, which is quite incredible. How long have you both been here? Can I start with you, Johan? Well, I started here in 1996. I started at Chamori in 1996, uh, so that what is that about 20, 27 years now? It was a good time. Amazing, and you, John? Started here just after it opened in the beginning of '93, um, and uh, left for a couple of years here to Kenya on an extended honeymoon, and then came back. So all in all, it's been over 30 years, but probably on the ground about 29 years. What makes Shamwari in the Eastern Cape so unique? Because this is a special place, isn't it? I mean, I've seen the, the title Where It All Began. Is that true? Yeah, that, that is true. And obviously what makes Shamwari a special place is that it's it, the uniqueness comes with the diversity. It's, it's diversity of vegetation, diversity of animals we can accommodate here. Um, the people of the Eastern Cape, Cape is unique. You know, we've got traditional settlers here. We've got... Uh, Germans, we've got we've got very Afrikaans uh, Afrikaans community where I originated from. So you put everything together, and you've got a culture I would say second to none with a very rich history. But personally, to me, this is my life. My my the biggest part of my life is actually Shamwari, and and it was a wonderful part of my life. So I belong here, and, and I almost have got nothing else. That is that is me. <laughs> I think uh, one of the things about uh, Shimwari and the Eastern Cape is it's been a hell of an interesting ride. From coming here in the early days when the whole wildlife industry and the tourism industry was sort of null and void per se, okay, um, and how it's grown. You know, um, Shimwari and Adrian have been very much a part of developing it to where it is today. You know, historically this area is very rich in wildlife. But with the, uh, the, the, the arrival of the settlers, both the uh, English in 1820 and the Germans in the 1840s, uh, that all disappeared to make way for agriculture. So, it's, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's something we've watched grow. It's like a child in a way. Um, and the Eastern Cape, I think Johan also hit it on the head. One of the special things about the Eastern Cape is the people. Very relaxed, very friendly and uh, just nice to be part of it. People certainly have made my life a lot in a lot more interesting, but a lot easier. I found like when I moved from Cape Town, I found my tribe when I came to the Eastern Cape. It was the South Africa I fell in love with back in the 90s. You mentioned Adrian there, John. Um, we're talking about Adrian Gardner. Why is he so significant? And uh, well, we know that he was the founder of Shamwari. I also want you both to discuss what was it like in those early days, because we're sitting here at this beautiful reserve where international tourists come and have this life-changing experience. Five-star hospitality, but what was it like in those early days with Adrian? 
you know, look, I think the, the difficulty in those days was that the Eastern Cape wasn't recognized as a wildlife destination. It wasn't recognized as an international tourist destination. And Adrian came up with this vision to establish a, a, a wildlife tourism upmarket uh, venture here, you know. Um, everybody laughed and said it'll never win, it'll never work. And I tell you what, it was rough in those first uh, couple of years. Um, but, you know, thank goodness Adrian stuck to it. Uh, I think it takes a lot of courage. So he had the vision, but he also had the courage to see it through. Um, and uh, it's as much a story of the reserve, uh, uh, it's a much, let's put it this way, it's, it's as much a story of people as it is of the reserve, you know. Um, and everybody sort of, Shimori is fortunate. I mean, we've got staff that have been here 30 years. Uh, we still got some of our original guys with us. We're all getting old now, but um, it's, it's a great big family. I think if we come back to Adrian himself, uh, he is an extraordinary man that all of us know. Um, there's never a challenge too great. He, he, he had an unbelievable vision, uh, and uh, sometimes it was it it was just a very quick thought, and 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 he could come with with really uh, interesting concepts that we had to. Uh, sort of to, to, to look at, make it work, some didn't work, um, he didn't take no for an answer, so, uh, and, and he could put you in unbelievable situations, but it was an interesting ride with Adrian, but if it wasn't for Adrian, he tried things that nobody else would have tried, it was, uh, nothing was too small. And, and, and he opened the world to us as well, uh, 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 not, not in a physical way, very much emotionally. Uh, don't be scared of anything. If, if there's a challenge, go for it. So, so we actually learned a lot from Adrian. One of the most important things, of course, was, was almost rewilding this part of the Eastern Cape and bringing back the indigenous species that were here before man. Um, one of the probably the most famous stories, but I'd like you to just recount it again for the people that don't know who are listening to Frontierland today, were the stories when you brought back probably the iconic species, which is the lion. The challenges, it was something that you'd never done before. Um, did you think it was possible? Well, we we actually tried, we'd be convinced, Adrian, we had to bring the lions in. But what we didn't most probably recognize at the time that, that between John and I, we had to bring in the lions. And, 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 and that was almost like a can of worms that you didn't want to open. Firstly, we need to design specifications of keeping the lines in the reserve. And then the day we actually had to go and collect the lines. And we, we ended up with a situation that we load some lines in Pilansburg and we load some lines in, 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 uh, in Madikwe. And, and uh, there were film crews filming us. We had no experience whatsoever. We load the first lines, we flew to Madikwe to load the others. And then in the loading process, the aeroplane got damaged. And we had to leave all the celebrities and most of the film crews right there on a runway on the Botswana border and fly back with these lines, only myself, two pilots and one cameraman, all the way back to Lanseria in Johannesburg, get another plane. And we didn't really add another plane ready for us, but we had to make a plan. Problem is I had a limited amount of tranquilizers to keep the lines sedated for the trip. 
I didn't uh, uh, bargain on this detour. And uh, once we got to the airport, nobody wanted to touch the lines, the labor force there, because they say it's dangerous. Obviously, the guys wanted money. So eventually, I was so desperate for time, I just ran into the offices, got the guys out of the offices, said, please, they must help. And they came there with their white shirts and suits and whatever, carry lines that at the time was filthy because they would urinate and defecate in the plane. Loaded them, fly back, and then I realized I'm running out of drugs on the way back. I had no experience, so it wasn't a safe situation. And um, when I flew over Bloemfontein, we got cell phone comps, so I phoned John and said he urgently need to get drugs because we were flying to Grahamstown, not Shamari with the lines. And I would never forget when we landed in Grahamstown, the lines were lifting their heads. Look at me with this like dizzy eyes and John out of the window shook a bottle of Zolotil, the tranquilizer. So he tranquilized them and got them asleep. And then we got to Shamari and we still had to implant like radio transmitters and these things. So every line had to be operated, radio transmitter in the in the abdomen. And we were exhausted and obviously being filmed. And in the whole process that was delayed with all the trouble with the lines, Adrian would phone me and I could never forget his words, Johan, you doesn't get it right, eh? <laughs> But eventually we got it right. An incredible story. I've heard so many stories like that, but that is wonderful. I mean, uh, you've heard of the uh, the film Snakes on a Plane. This is Lions on a Plane, and it was true life, wasn't it? Incredible. But I just want to go back to your role as the vet here, Johan, because there's something um, I've always wondered about. I want to know your main responsibilities on a wildlife reserve like this. But because it's regarded as a wild area, how and when do you get involved with the animals because isn't this left to nature yeah it's, it's it's quite a tricky situation why we're so keen to go bigger is the smaller the more intensive you manage the bigger the less intensive you manage i would say the most important role as a veterinarian in a reserve like this is to prevent like uh, contagious or no, uh, notifiable diseases that get in that you can't eradicate for instance exotic diseases like tuberculosis Brucellosis, that uh, tuberculosis can affect all the animals, brucellosis as well, but it's predominantly buffalo. So if that would, that diseases take off in the reserve, you need to destroy those. So it's quite important that that doesn't happen. So that is, I would say, the primary function. Then, um, obviously, like John is the ecologist, he work out stock densities when we translocate animals. To, to uh, If we, we sell animals to, to capture them, translocate them in the most humane way to other reserves and start new found populations for other reserves. Also important is like uh, minor injuries we don't treat. If the lions fight with each other, a couple of bite wounds, we leave it to nature and they very sort of resilient, they wounds heal easily. If it comes to rhino and it's life-threatening injuries, we do interfere. It's, it's, it's a species that's very often it's, it's human-induced problems, but also because they're endangered, we, we, we try to assist there. And then uh, the question that I always get asked is why we take like orphans and relocate them to the rehab center and release them. Why don't take nature to take its course? If it's a simple case of a natural incident, the lines will just take the orphan out but very often it's it's it's, it's about human we we fence these reserves animals get stuck in water troughs in fences and so on so it's human induced problems if it's human induced we take our responsibility and we care i understand i mean it's a very sort of delicate situation isn't it Absolutely, i mean it's, yeah. it's 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 you want this to be a wild environment but obviously if it's human induced i understand john Doing this kind of work and research, I've understood how important your role is as the ecologist. 
essentially this is a fenced area even though it's 27,000 hectares I believe which is a big big area what is your job essentially because this is a managed area and what do you do and is it just is it just involving the animals or is it everything is it all part of the the ecosystem look the one thing is if, if you look at the uh, the, 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 well, what is ecology? It's, it's a huge, broad concept, okay? With so many minor components to it, but we look at the three biggest components. The one is the relationship between the herbivores and the vegetation. The other one is the relationship between the predator and the prey, all right? And we cannot forget that at the end of the day, we're also a tourism company. So you also need to manage the... Um, the, the the reserve and guest expectations to a degree okay um, whatever we do we thinking about long-term sustainability you know we want Shimori to be in a better condition 100 years from now all right I've always maintained if I slip up in my job Johan's got more work to do on the animals you know so uh, it's a bit of a complicated one but we just try and create the balances create uh, a system that we have no negative impacts uh, which does become tricky because you are even though it's a big piece of land it's still an island and it has to be managed can we talk about the wider area here because Shamwari is a pioneer in, in wildlife tourism in terms of setting this this model up in this part of South Africa but there's been a lot of discussion certainly recently about rewilding and the possibility of actually dropping fences between the different reserves and opening opening up tracks of wildlife corridor, corridors as it were so for both of you how do you see the future of wildlife tourism here in the Eastern Cape and is this a realistic thing you think that could happen? Without any doubt, we need uh, we need bigger areas of land. And even you mentioned dropping of the fences. Even if there's a reserve next to us and we don't drop the fence, it's still a wildlife area. If it's a small stock farm, it's very difficult because leopard and animals like brown hyena and so will cross the fences and create problems with those farmers. So we have to be very responsible as far as that's concerned. But there's no doubt that we have to get as big as possible. And it doesn't really make sense from an ecological point of view if you've got fences in between reserves. But we do a lot of work like outside. We're both very involved in the, call it the conservation of leopard or the management of leopard in the broader Eastern Cape where we get stock losses and problems of farmers and should a leopard be destroyed or rehomed and it's very difficult especially the, the territorial males to, to rehome them. We're also busy with a huge new project now of, of translocating vultures to start a captive breeding project with injured vultures, compromised vultures of which all the offspring would be released and that would obviously be the benefit of all wildlife areas in the Eastern Cape and not only Shamwari. So we, we keen that we that we make progress with the land issues and, and consolidate but, but we don't need to wait for that because we can introduce some something like the vultures and, 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 and those processes can then continue as natural as possible. I think there's no doubt that from a, a, a wildlife uh, perspective, the bigger the better. All right, um, you can conserve things that don't uh, aren't impacted by fences like uh, birds of prey, uh, leopard. Obviously, the more area you got, the more space you got available for key species like elephant and black rhino and things like that. But um, you know, if we had to do it, I think it'll also have other benefits. Like it'll 
recognize the Eastern Cape more as a, as a wildlife destination. Um, and so there, there, there's there's positives both ways. Certainly something that, you know, we certainly, Jan and I, have been working on for many years, um, and it's building momentum in, in, in the Eastern Cape, some interesting players coming in and, 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 and taking initiative too. So, um, you know, whether it happens in the next year or two, I can't tell you, but it is going to happen. No, it's good to hear. I, I, I believe it's going to happen. I mean, I've interviewed people on this podcast and they're, they're very positive and there's, it's a plan for people to come together. And it's up to people, isn't it? Talking of which, communities are so important, aren't they, Johan? I know that's something you're passionate with, given your background growing up. Why is it important to engage with local communities when it comes to things like conservation? If we would exclude local communities, we're going to be dead. You know, uh, uh, we always believe uh, to be sustainable is financial sustainability, local, uh, uh, ecological sustainability, and then on the social side as well. And obviously what we do is we create a lot of jobs, additional jobs, skills development, but there's still a big part of the community that, that doesn't benefit directly by being employed, but they live close by. And, and, and the spin-offs, like, like if we can start small industry with these guys, but we must be careful. It's not always making things out of wood and whatever you're going to sell that. It's, it's much better than that. It's much more important. It's education programs. And then to be able to place these guys when they leave school, that they're not, uh, not, not lost in the world. And then besides that is the, is the, is, is the delicate uh, political situation that we're in. And it's it's I'm I'm front with the guys. If you carry on voting for a party that 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 doesn't doesn't uh, produce, you have to make a choice. And and so this and and it's dangerous ground to trade in. But 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 it's important that we look after these people. And if you do get involved, and I what I very often do is I visit people's homes, the rich and the poor, everybody, and I see how people live. And if you understand how they live, they don't have basic needs for a, for a kid that's sick. It is our responsibility that we get them involved. There is no way that we can live a dream and exclude these populations from what what what, what we're doing. Yeah, look, I mean, obviously, Johan's sort of said a lot what we do, but you know, I've always believed that every piece of land in South Africa has a responsibility to add a positive from a socio-economic uh, development perspective locally, nationally, and uh, obviously provincially as well, you know, um, especially when you consider our history. And the one thing is that the Eastern Cape, this area where we are now, is um, it's not a, it's a marginal agricultural area, okay? And what we are finding is that wildlife is a very, very good land use for here. Uh, it enables employment. Um, it enables all the factors that Johan spoke about. So I think you know the one thing is is that um, in an area which is not a f- big rich food basket of the country, we are making a difference. And the biggest difference we're making in a way is by creating employment in rural areas, because one of South Africa's big challenges at the moment is urbanisation. You know, so very much so, very very high focus on on our agenda. Well, gentlemen, it's been an absolute privilege to meet you at last and to interview you. I've been trying to track you down for a long time, as you know, but all I can say is thank you for everything you've done here in Eastern Cape and beyond, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank thank you. you And good luck. eh? That was Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. For more podcasts, visit algoafm.co.za.